Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, episode 39, Beyond in a Clash of Kings, chapter 6 and outro. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You can find me on the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and www.liesandarborgold.com. And I am Eliana, another one of your hosts, and you might know me as Arithmetric on Twitter or perhaps Glass Table Girl on the Maester Monthly podcast, as well as the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, which, speaking of, we have a guest today. Yes, this is so exciting. I'm so excited that we have this guest on. You might know her from Reddit. She is a new moderator. You may know her from online as Crowfood's Daughter. And, of course, you might know her from her amazing YouTube channel, where she's doing an Ironborn Myth and Legends series, which fits in perfectly with Beyond, uh, The Disputed Lands. So, everyone, welcome, Crowfood's Daughter. Hey, thank you. Uh, my name is Amanda. I go by Crowfood's Daughter, and I do have a YouTube channel. It's called The Disputed Lands, where I look at a lot of things... Um, especially Ironborn things. I do have a series, and what I do is I look at Ironborn culture, Ironborn religion, Ironborn history and legends, and I do an analysis to try and understand what actually happened during the Long Night and how that can inform us about Azor High and the Great King. Yeah, we called in a professional, is what I'm saying. <laughs> She's an Ironborn anthropologist. Yes. And you just put out uh, your newest Ironborn Myth and Legend series like a week ago uh, about Grayscale, Bless Him with Stone. I did. I did. That was um, that was my baby right there, actually. <sighs> uh, it took me a while. I was hoping to get it out like a week prior, but I decided to just completely reorganize the entire thing. But I'm glad how it turned out. I'm really glad. So... Um, yeah, if you get a chance, check that out. Yeah, we'll definitely drop some links below in our description. Uh, we'll tweet it out on Twitter, so make sure you subscribe, like, just uh, check it out. Really good content. I'm just really happy that you joined us. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. This is pretty exciting, actually, so thank you. And of course, first recorded with Amanda a few weeks ago with LML, so... It was like months now. Whatever. Weeks? Technically, it's still weeks, you know? It's not just not a few, it's many weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, between two Weirwoods, the episode on parenting, we got to chat a lot about Balin Greyjoy. Then we chatted about him, uh, Tywin. We chatted about Ned. So I'm excited to get back into it because we have a lot of parenting to discuss today. There's a lot to say about Balon. Lots. Lots. Hey, we did get some really cool reactions <laughs> last episode. Uh, we've gotten a lot of fun tweets. I'm really glad that Theon is going well. I uh, Maybe it's just the Sansa shock because we just had a lot of Sansa happening, but... I'm really happy that it's going yeah, it's well. It's going well. It's going better than I thought it would for even. these episodes. It's going really poorly for Theon, but it's going well. Yeah. I'm thriving <laughs> during these episodes. Theon is not. Uh, we did get some great tweets from Ben. Ben Sale, our friend who wrote a piece about Grandmaster Pycelle, actually. And Ben Sale says that the only defense Theon has is that he's not wrong about Balon's likely reaction. Saying he killed Bran and Rickon is probably the only thing that'd have made Balon think twice about writing him off as a Stark, while Asha's advice would have just killed them for real. Balon would have found any reason to keep his make Asha heir plan except for that. Raid Winterfell, uh, you had your job and you didn't hold it? Stick to your job? How did you help our victory slash do anything to stop our defeat? The only way to be true Ironborn was to be a monster. I like that a lot. I think that's a great take and it's something we're obviously going to talk about today as we see all these loyalties and 
confliction with Indian and, you know, yada, yada, the usual in this plot for him. But it's true. I mean, that's the only thing that would have Balin think, ah, ah, okay, maybe he's not a wolf. Yeah, and I think uh, this idea that Theon realizing what Balon's reaction would have been, the way that Theon was doing it there is something that he does later in this chapter, where he's just like, yes, this was right, this feels right, but he has to, like, I guess, think aloud to do it. Amanda, what do you think? Yeah, it would definitely prove to his father that his loyalties do lie to him. But we've seen throughout the Ironborn chapters that they do value hostages, and killing his brothers, yes. It would definitely, killing Bran and Rekon would definitely show his father that his loyalties do lie to him. However, Bran and Rekon are so valuable. Even though they fled, if he was actually given the opportunity to um, either keep them as hostages or kill them, the more foolish thing to do would be to kill them because they are incredibly valuable. And we've seen through Victorian chapters and we've seen through um, Asha's chapters, killing the most valuable, you know, bargaining chip that you have is not a good option. So when Siri is fighting Victorian and Siri's thrown overboard, he asked if they fished him out because, hey, he's valuable. We need him. So he really does need Bran and Rickon. And yeah, I, I just don't think that Balon would have thought that it was a good idea to do that. He might have, you know, gotten some resolve as far as where his son's loyalties lie, but in in the end, his father would have thought that that was very stupid. It's almost like Jamie, like the whole having Jamie and letting Jamie go plot with Catelyn mm-hmm. and Rob. I mean, the rule of all warfare is pretty much like, unless you have a really good loaded hand and you know you're safeguarded, you don't just take someone who has power, more power than you, out like that if you can have them in a valuable position. Yeah, and I, I really like the point that you made, Amanda, about a hostage taking actually being a part of Ironborn culture, because to an extent, is that not necessarily what thralls or the salt wives are in an extension? And we also, you pointed out Victorian and Asha doing it. Um, book spoilers here for those who haven't read The Forsaken, but... You know, we see Euron does that as well with Aaron um, to corral and rally the religious, the religious folks in on the Iron Islands, and that's definitely something that Theon would have been able to control a little better when he came to the Starks if he had the two Stark boys. Actually, in the World Book, it mentions that the Ironborn would take thralls; they would t- take salt wives. Um, some of the most valuable thralls were the ones that were able to read and write, do sums. However, they mentioned, but the most valuable people were the ones that you could actually, were the lords and ladies and, and the people that you could actually ransom. Those are your bargaining chips. Those are the most valuable because you can actually return them and get something back in exchange, or you can use them for negotiations. So by having the choice between killing Brandon Brickon or keeping them as hostages, really the most dumb thing you can do is get is just kill your hostages and, and execute them. He's really putting himself at a, at a disadvantage. Of course, he in truth, he didn't actually have that option. But, you know, <laughs> right, the whole time I've been thinking like, but also he didn't yes. actually kill them. So all of this is moot. <laughs> yeah, he could have kept them as a hostage. I mean, I think part of what Ben is saying here, if we look at like, what Ben is saying, and also like Amanda's points about Ironborn culture is there is no winning 
for Theon. It is a catch-22. Mm-hmm. It's either he doesn't kill the Starks and he takes them as hostages, which is Ironborn culture, but then it comes with the bind of being seen as soft towards the Starks, or he kills them and, well, we see how that plays out. We get to follow that course of events here. Yeah, toxic Iron Man masculinity plays into that, mm-hmm. too. And Northern Iron Man toxic masculinity. But I mean... We're going to get into a lot of this very soon. So let's jump into our lightning round and get through this so we can talk a bunch more about hostages and what happens with Eon in this chapter. In Sansa 5, Sansa Stark finds herself holed up in Maegra's Holdfast with the Queen Mother as the Battle of the Blackwater rages on. Davos 3. Davos captains Black Betha into the fiery hells of the Blackwater. Tyrion 13. Tyrion rallies the troops and leads a sortie to stop Stannis' attack. In Sansa 6, Cersei schools Sansa in how much she hates being a woman. Sansa learns why Illyn Payne is in the holdfast. Tyrion 14. Podrick saves Tyrion's life from betrayal in the field. Sansa 7. Sansa sings a song for mercy for Sander Clegane. Mm. Daenerys 5. Danny's victory over the Undying is bittersweet. She survives an attempt on her life thanks to our Stan Whitebeard. Arya 10. Arya is sick of her new job and boss and flees Harrenhal with Gendry after slicing open a guard's throat. After all, Valor Morgulis. Sansa 8. Sansa is set aside and receives a magical heirloom from Dantos Hollard. Theon 6. Theon struggles to hold Winterfell. While the siege rages on, Theon decides to parlay with Roderick Cassell, his hostage, Beth's father. He considers giving up the castle and taking the black, per Lewin's suggestion, but is interrupted by news of infighting among the northerners, and of course, his timely demise. And so begins Theon Six, our last Clash of Kings chapter, where Maester Lewin came to him when the first scouts were seen outside the walls. My lord prince, he said, you must yield. And Theon asks Lewin then, has my uncle said a response to him yet? And he's talking about Victorian. But, you know, Victorian hasn't. Because, I don't know, he's actually following orders. <laughs> doing whatever yeah, he's, he's doing. doing stuff. Sailing across grass or whatever. Yeah, and Balin, of course, has not sent help either, nor a response. Theon demands Lewin sends more birds for help. And Lewin's like, no, like, I've sent a bajillion birds. Stop. And Theon goes full rage, I'm the lord mode, right? He throws food off the table. He accuses Lewin of wanting him dead. And Lewin responds that his order serves the realm and Winterfell. I really love Lewin's speech here, though, about serving the realm and Winterfell. And he's like, I don't hate you, Theon. I don't love you. But this is my job. Yeah, like, I have to protect the north. I will give you honest counsel. And my counsel is yield, Theon Greyjoy. Yeah, dang Like, this. if Balin was going to send help, he would have sent it by now. Maester Lewin, he actually has been giving him fairly good advice this entire time. And Theon is just so distrusting of everyone. And, I mean, rightly so, I guess. It, but he, time after time, and we see this throughout the Theon chapters in A Clash of Kings, he continuously is receiving advice and he never takes the advice from the people that he needs to. He's taking advice from Reek, um, who's we're going to learn is, is a really bad idea. His sister gives him advice. Maester Lewin gives him advice and he puts everybody's opinions and thoughts to, to the side. 
And yeah, he really needs to find out who's actually on his side, or at least who's going to give him some solid advice. And Theon grew up with Maester Lewin. He he should know when Maester Lewin is trying to provide him with solid counsel. And this is an excellent example of Maester Lewin giving him some solid counsel. He has got the North outside of his gates as they're speaking, and he's telling them, you have to yield. And Theon doesn't want to hear anything about it. He's he's asking about his father. He's asking about Victarion. Um, and nobody's come for him. Even Asha, when she came to help him, she just left him ten men which is almost like a token rather than actually helping him out. Dad's not coming. Yeah, and of course, it, it reminds me in a way of, Bail- like we all have agreed, Balin gave him orders. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want Asha to do. And this is what I want Victorian to do, right? So taking Winterfell isn't like not a big deal. Theon chose this and Winterfell is like the North's big place, right? So this obviously would affect your dad's plans, Theon. It reminds me, Almost of the Edmir and Rob thing, right? When Rob's like, I told you to do something and you didn't do it, but Edmir didn't do anything wrong because he protected his people. So it's kind of a different situation. And Edmir's never done anything wrong in his life. So there's that as well. And Rob gave bad orders. They were poorly yeah, worded Rob gave orders. Bad orders. We'll get so. to that eventually one day. Don't worry, everyone. Yeah. And Edmir did nothing wrong ever. So. Yeah. Well, with Theon... He he was actually given the opportunity to, and he just thought that this was just a, a shit job as far as harrying this stony shore, but he was actually supposed to be creating a diversion. And instead, he went against his father's plans, and um, he started taking Torrance Square and then Winterfell, when really he was supposed to be putting all of the, he was supposed to be putting all the attention on the, storm, on the stony shore. Deepwood Mott, was meant to be like a forward operating base. It's basically where, you know, everything as far forward as your your lines are for, you know, planning, you know, for troops, for supplies. Deepwood Mott was supposed to be like the, their forward operating base. And you see time and time again, they talk about we, we need to stay close to the ocean. We need to stay close to the mm-hmm. rivers. Iron men, our, our power, our strength is at sea. We need to stay here. And he, he goes to the heart of the north. And he goes to Winterfell. And Asha, she came and she told him, you need to leave. We have no power here. This was a bad move. And, of course, he's not taking any advice. So he, he's really at a complete loss. Nobody's co- going to come for him. He did screw up the plans. You know, um, if you look at who is it, Corrid Hor, he actually controlled the entire western shore of the Seven Kingdoms, you know, many, many years ago, back in ancient times. And that that seems like what Balon was was initially trying to attempt was to gain control of the western shores rather than sack, sack yeah. Winterfell. Go all in. Yeah. So. Yeah. Two things. So one, it's like, you know. Balon gave him a job. He like let him into his like company, and the end was like, "I deserve better than this internship." And decided to go do something else, as you were saying. And it was like, "This was not helpful. Why didn't you just like sort the fucking papers like we told you to?" And it's also like what you were saying about Theon not taking advice reminds me again of Quentin Martell. Like his friends are like, "Quentin, what if we just went home?" Quentin, this seems like a bad idea. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, continuously 
just taking the wrong advice. And the one person he does take advice from is Reek. And we're going to find out that was a really bad idea. Yeah. And we also see why that happened. I mean, Reek, you know, pretends to sympathize and empathize with Theon and plays right into his weaknesses. And of course, he buys it up, you know, hook, line, and sinker. I'm, Theon says that the North isn't going to have any mercy on him, even though Lewin says, you know, ask for mercy, beg for mercy. So he commands Lewin to send the ravens anyways, and he rounds up all of the Iron Men for a council. And he also said there is a way, and Theon doesn't let him finish. He's trying to give him a really good counsel, and we're going to figure out later on what this way actually is. Um, and instead of trying to listen to this advice, trying to hear what this way is, he just responds, I am ironborn. He says, I'm not going to yield. I'm not going to do anything. Unfortunately, like if he would actually think about um, history, his dad yielded to King Robert uh, during the Greyjoy Rebellion. I mean, his own dad, the guy that he's trying to impress, he yielded. And the last ironborn that refused to yield during a siege was Heron the Black. And that went really great for him yeah, yeah. so good <laughs> exactly and asha with deepwood mott she she abandons that she you know she hightails it out of there um and so he he's got these preconceived notions of what an ironborn person is and he most of what he understands about the ironborn is a very juvenile understanding because he left there when he was nine Mm-hmm. And and so a lot of what he understands of that is seen through the lens of a nine-year-old of when, you know, he was last there. And then everything else is supplemented from his t- his 10 years in the North. He's actually been in the North longer than he, he was in the, on the Iron Islands. And so a lot of that is supplemented by what he learns from the maesters, what, you know, what he hears from other people from the North. And so he has these preconceived notions. And so you see him consistently saying, I am ironborn, I'm going to do this. But this is a great example where if, if you would actually just kind of understand your situation, being ironborn has nothing to do with it. He just looks at his dad is a great example. So Yeah, the Ironborn know when to fold. That's yeah. the biggest thing is Asha, Balin, they know what cards they have and when to play them and when to fold. And Theon's just out there on a death mission. He's like, whatever, I'm going to win. Yeah, and that's why Asha gives him the advice she does. The ten men that she gives him aren't to help hold it. They're to get him to the shore. Get him the fuck out of yeah, there. Absolutely. Escape rope. Yeah. Theon thinks Lewin's counsel is piteous and he looks around the large yard. He gives a speech he means to hold Winterfell or die. But, of course, it's not exactly compelling. Everyone's looking around pretty dumbfounded, right? They don't really uh, find it inspirational. Theon felt as though he were drowning. Why am I surprised, he thought bleakly. His father had forsaken him. Ooh. His uncles, his sister, even that wretched creature weak. Why should his men prove any more loyal? There was nothing to say, nothing to do. He could only stand there beneath the great gray walls and the hard white sky, sword in hand, waiting, waiting. Wex was the first to cross the line. Three quick steps and he stood at the end's side, slouching, shamed by the boy Black Lord, followed all scowls. Who else? he demanded. Red Rolf came forward. Crom, Wurlog, Tymor, and his brothers, Ulf the Ill. Herrig Sheep Stealer, four Harlaws and two Botleys, 
Kenneth the whale was the last, 17 in all. I love that Wex was the first to cross the line and that he like shames Lauren into it. I am so fond of Wex. I love that he's just the cutest little squire. He is. He is. We all need a squire in our lives. <laughs> we like, we do. I want one. Like, I don't know how you get one, <laughs> but I would really like to have a squire. Asha's men, for obvious reasons, don't seem to follow Theon, which uh, Theon assumed would happen. Urzan and Stig also are like, mm, no, we did this long enough. We're not about this anymore. <laughs> Theon's like, all right, then go run back to Asha. And then turns to the 17 that stayed for him. And he apparently means to hold Winterfell with 17 good men. And I'm what I'm just confused. What is this number? Maybe Theon could have had done it if he had 20, but he only has 17. Yeah, it's a pretty off number. I'm feeling, uh, feeling like this is a break in your theory that the show actually took this from the books, Eliana. They did. It's over. Your theory's well, over. But then he didn't hold it, right? If he had had 20, maybe he could have done it. He would have held it. Yeah. Maybe. Three more. It's bad still. <laughs> okay, Lauren tells him uh, what he knows. The castle folk are tough gonna turn on you as soon as the, the northerners arrive for Winterfell. Is this... This is some little Ramsey shadowing, though, right? This is uh, this is some good stuff. The castle folk will turn on him as soon as the Northerners arrive for Winterfell. Well, no, it turns out that the Northerners are who turned on him when they arrive for Winterfell. It was a uh, reek, kind of a little Ramsey shadowing, almost. I mean, everyone's gonna turn on Theon, apparently. Yeah, I mean, it is Theon, Theon. turned on Theon. He doesn't know it, but it's pretty <laughs> obvious. He makes Black Lauren bring out Beth Castle, blood for blood, while they wait for Roderick to arrive. And Lauren gives him a hostile look, so Theon thinks, He's turned against me too, Theon realized. Of late, it seemed to him as if the very stones of Winterfell had turned against him. If I die, I die friendless and abandoned. What choice did that leave him but to live? Yeah, he put Lauren in a weird position. Lauren was under the assumption that he was going to go out in a blaze of glory. And he didn't realize that what that meant was getting a little girl and putting a noose on her and waving her in front of the other host. And so he was he was kind of upset with that. And he did suggest to put everybody in Winterfell to the to the sword and then just open up the gates, which is obviously probably not the best idea. Um, but <laughs> but um, here's just again, you know, at least that's an option. But he's he's giving him some advice. And of course, Theon says, no, we're going to we're going to do this my way. And um, it. it I don't know. What do you all think? Do you think that Theon had a, a better plan than, than Lauren just going out in a blaze of glory? No, I mean, Lauren's kind of like the bucket wool character in Theon's plot, right? Mm-hmm. He's his uh, ironborn bucket wool, and he did totally get kind of like screwed into doing this. Yep. This was totally a catfish. He's like, what? <laughs> this is my job now? It's interesting to the focus that, you know, we just left a Game of Thrones with Ned in the Black Cells and all that, you know, the last book, and he's, you know dying for the children and he's taking his secrets to the grave in order to protect children. And Theon, you know, in a game of Thrones also saved Bran in the woods and in clash, he burns the Miller's son to almost in a way, protect Bran and Rickon as well. Uh, they're not exactly equal sacrifices, you know, cause he still killed some children to save some children, but <laughs> he's a, uh, he's very torn between his squid side and his wolf side here, which isn't letting him make a battle decision, right? It's not letting him choose the right choice not letting him listen to any counsel from any side. He doesn't know who to trust. He has no one that he can trust. 
Uh, he's just trying to choose the option that's leading the least. What he needs are more animal sides, all right? Yes. He needs a little, he needs a burb side so he can just get the fuck a panda out of there. Side. Yeah, he needs a panda side so that he could have just chilled instead of like letting all this shit happen. Yeah, get your shit together, Theon. Theon rides to the gatehouse with his crown on. When the drawbridge was lowered, a chill wind sighed across the moat. The touch of it made him shiver. It is the cold, nothing more, Theon told himself. A shiver, not a tremble. Even brave men shiver. This reminds me of the cattle in chapter when it's raining before they get to, you know, the wedding. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking... Yeah. It, it, a, it's obviously, like, spooky, but it makes me think of... uh. He had said something in the previous chapter, and he was like, only the wind replied, and it makes me feel like there's this thing going on in Theon's chapters where it feels like it might be Bran speaking to him, but it's probably not Bran yet or something. You know, like... Yeah, missing some gray mist. Yeah, something like that. Sir Roger Cassell and Clay Kerwin wait with the Stark banner outside of the market. I love Clay Kerwin. Okay, Amanda, who do you want to be? <laughs> you get to play oh. a role. We're doing a dramatic reading now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, this is our yeah, thing. I'll be, I'll be Theon. Oh, okay. I'll be Roderick then. I'm ready to shame you. will be the narrator. Sir Roderick. Theon reigned to a halt. It grieves me that we must meet as foes. My own grief is that I must wait a while to hang you. The old knight spat onto the muddy ground. Theon turncloak. I am a Greyjoy of Pike. Theon reminded him. The cloak my father swaddled me in bore a kraken, not a direwolf. For ten years you've been a ward of Stark. Hostage and prisoner, I call it. Then perhaps Lord Eddard should have kept you chained to a dungeon wall. Instead, he raised you among his own sons, the sweet boys you have butchered. And to my undying shame, I trained you in the arts of war. Would that I had thrust a sword through your belly instead of placing one in your hand. Bruh. Damn. <laughs> he came for him. <laughs> Sir Roderick straight up came for his ass. Yeah, you tell him, Uncle Roderick. You tell him. Also, there's an interesting idea. This is his Uncle Roderick in the North. Oh. Instead of his Uncle Roderick the Reader. Mm. Like, I mean, similar characters, you know, just as far as mentoring and etc. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Though the other Roderick is more likely to read the Art of War than to train anyone in it. Yes, Absolutely. Theon tells everyone to swear fealty to his father, King Balon, and he, the Prince of Winterfell. This is going to go over really well. And anyone who does is going to be safe, according to Theon. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe you. Yeah, Curran's like, what? <laughs> you fucking want me? <laughs> and Roderick calls him Bane. And Roderick sure ain't wrong, because this is obviously very self-serving, taking Winterfell, because everyone told him not to. But here he is doing the thing that everybody said, don't do it. Yeah. Roderick is not at all moved by this. He says he has 2,000 men, um, you know, multiple of 20, much more than Theon. But he doesn't have what Theon has, which is his daughter. Roderick calls him craven and despicable to use a child, something Theon says is a dish he's tasted himself. And Roderick says it's not the same, which, of course, it really isn't. Theon's face was impassive. The noose I wore was not made of hemp and rope, that's true enough, but I felt it all the same. And it chafed, Sir Roderick, it chafed me raw. He had never quite realized that until now, but as the words came spilling out, he saw the truth of all. Yeah. He's continuously trying to justify his actions. We see that um, all throughout A Clash of Kings when he is 
sacking Winterfell when he is when he had to uh, drown somebody to the drown god. He he considers himself a just a just ruler. Uh, like when he whipped the raper, and he he's trying to rationalize what he's doing and still maintain some sort of sense of self. And he's he really puts himself into really bad positions. And so when I say when he says that he never quite realized that until now, the words just came spilling out and he saw the truth of them. I feel as though he's just trying to rationalize what he's doing. And he's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. That's that's how that's how it is. Yeah, he does that, too, in the last episode when he's like tells Asha, you know, oh, I'm avenging our brothers, you know, and he's like, oh, dad'll like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all just him trying to rationalize everything in his mind and organize it to where he's still a good guy. And it's, he really puts himself into some really awkward positions in, in doing that. And it's, it's just sad. What a sad boy, Theon. Roderick offers himself instead of Beth as a hostage, but Theon does not bend. Roderick says he has sworn to Lady Catelyn and to House Stark he has to attack. Gods be good, Theon, how can you do this? You know I must attack, I've sworn. Oh, Roderick. He even, like, shaved his whole face for, like, the Starks, you know? <laughs> yes. And you see how seriously oaths are and vows are taken in this chapter. Because he's he's got this uh, inner struggle between this vow that he, he swore and his daughter. And, you know... He, he just keeps on saying, you know, I swore an oath. I, I have to do this. I am bound to do this. Even though his daughter has a noose around her neck and she's his last surviving heir, his last surviving blood. It's um, it, it's really interesting because you, you see them talk about oath breakers and, and everything being, um, you know, it being frowned upon, it be being looked down upon. But when you actually have somebody who is in a position where um, they are trying to make a choice, you you actually see how important vows are to to some of the people that make them. And I, I think that that's just an excellent use of George, showing the reader what it means to, to, to place a vow or to place an oath. Yeah, and it's great because like we've had so much time with the Cassell family. And we see, as you were saying, how important these oaths are to them. We see how fiercely they served and protected House Stark to the best that they could. And Roderick's like, how could you put me in this fucking position? And we, like, don't get his interiority, but I just love how, you know, as you're saying, like, this sort of dilemma is something that comes up across all of A Song of Ice and Fire. It comes up with Aemon and Jair talking about, are you sure you want to do this? I mean, like... Benjamin Stark says this too, like, are you sure you want to do this? Because it's love versus duty. It's Ned Stark has to make this decision. And obviously it's in Jamie's storyline when he's like, "We, they make you swear and swear all these vows. There isn't a clear cut right answer of blood versus duty. And it's even sadder. I mean, the Castells have been dying for the Stark since the beginning of the story. You know, Jory dies for Ned and now, you know, Roderick dies for Ned and Beth, or for, well, for Theon, but you know what I mean, for the Starks and, you know, in their name, in their vein. And Beth Cassell is a hostage, hopefully still alive in the dungeons of the Dreadfort. Hopefully nothing awful is being done to her by Ramsay because that whole family has just suffered, just suffered during this. Yeah. 
Theon tells Roderick to call off the siege, or by sunset, Beth will hang. He says he has plenty of hostages to hang. At first light, he'll kill another. Another hostage will follow her to the grave at first light, and another at sunset. Every dawn and every dusk will mean a death, until you're gone. I have la- I have no lack of hostages. There's definitely a lot of projecting in his taking hostages, for sure. Uh, he's moving the power into his court, and it's interesting because there's a huge contrast after this chapter in A Dance with Dragons when all the power is gone from him, uh, especially with his past after being a hostage of Eddard. You look at Quentin, who was given to House Ironwood for Oberyn's blood debt, and, you know, just a lot of Westerosi blood debt. Marcella being used as coin to the Dornish to keep them loyal, which has obviously worked really well for them so far. And even to an extent, the Frey boys are, you know, Walder Frey's extortion, what he made the Starks agree to in order to uh, let them pass his stupid bridge, which we're going to unpack a lot of that in Dance of Dragons as well. I think that's a really interesting point about Theon, you know, perpetuating this cycle, which has so clearly affected him and just doing it to other people. It's very psychologically jarring, and he's just continuing that. Well, Theon wasn't necessarily abused. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah, exactly. He did not wait for a reply, but wheeled Smiler around and rode back toward the castle. He went slowly at first, but the thought of those archers at his back soon drove him to a canter. Understandable. The small (laughs) heads watched him come from their spikes, their tarred and flayed faces looming larger with every yard. Between them stood little Beth Cassell, noosed and crying. Theon put his heel into Smiler and broke into a hard gallop. Smiler's hooves clattered on the drawbridge like drumbeats. Something I really respect about George is these smaller characters like Beth, who spoke once in a Game of Thrones, you know, and was hanging out with the girls. And, you know, these small girls that come back into play, Jane Poole, it's nice that George remembers these supporting characters that are just young females. Uh, kind of a very Jamie kind of thing, right? With the Riverlands. Had this situation played out without Reek involved, this entire scene just screams Jamie Lannister in the Riverlands. But, like, you know, maybe just as many daddy issues, I guess. And... The creeping paranoia is just really excellent throughout this chapter here. In that scene, he's looking at the uh, tarred and feathered heads of what's supposed to be Brown and Rickon as he's going back in. And then he's seeing little Beth Cassell crying. Uh, and, and we come to realize that like the only people that um, Theon it has killed or is trying to kill are two, ki- two Miller's boys, two kids. He's got another little girl with a noose around her neck, and he killed his septon. And so we can see that he, he's really just preying on the weak, it's, which is really... Um, bad luck. Yeah, bad karma. Bad juju. Theon has Black Lauren then take Beth somewhere safe and retreats to bed to Ned's bedchambers. Get out of there. Bedchambers? Not where you belong. Get out of his chambers. Not for you. Or not. Had it been Theon with a noose around his neck and Lord Balin commanding the army without, the Warhorns would already have sounded the attack. He had no doubt. He should thank the gods that Sir Roderick was not ironborn. The men of the Greenlands were made of softer stuff, though he was not certain they would prove soft enough. I mean, is that fair to say? Like, maybe if... No. If Balon was, like, faced with, what, Asha being a hostage, I think... Balon wouldn't have done it. I don't think that it's like that the Ironborn are made of softer stuff. I think Balon just doesn't love Theon as much. Yeah. Yeah. 
And he doesn't want to admit that, yeah. right? Like, he's not ready to admit that at all. Yeah. And I, I don't think... I mean, yes, it makes Balon a bad father, but I also kind of understand that, like, Balon was divorcing himself from, like, this kid that he hadn't seen for ten years because what's he going to do, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's not going to be a shell of a human like Al- Alanis, I mean. Balon does oh, man. what... I'm going to say something wild here. Balon does with Theon disappearing what Jaehaerys did when Sarah ran away. Yep, he does, for sure. He just detaches himself from, from them. We don't really see how Balon was as a father prior to um, the Greyjoy Rebellion, but we have to understand that he lost um, mm-hmm. two of his sons during that time, during the Greyjoy Rebellion. He um, had to send his other son away to his enemies. Um, his his wife went insane. It's quite possible that the father that he left on Pike was a completely different man than than how Balon is now, and that's probably shaped him. He's he's most likely been plotting this revenge for the past ten years, and he's he's actually just you know come to the point where he he's able to uh, his plans can come to fruition. Um, but when he sees Theon, he he's seeing his enemies he's seeing you know the influence of them and he's worried that this might actually prove to to be um you know his downfall continuously testing him and theon is just not getting the hint yeah whatsoever sorry for theon but that's unfortunate yeah it's it's cowardly of balon to do but i guess rather than be disappointed at seeing his son and feel like his sons betrayed him, he just decides, I don't really have a son. Theon then begins to regret his choices, thinking it was one thing to go into Mm. battle surrounded by friends, and another to perish alone and despised. Mercy, he thought miserably. I don't know if I got, this is just me, there was another line also further up that was like Theon saying, if I die, I die alone and abandoned. And I'm getting some last hero vibes, like, Theon, you know, like the last year may have been despised, probably not, I don't know, but all of his friends died, you know, he went into this whole thing with a bunch of friends and was alone at the end, like even his dog died, you know? Yeah, so going back to the the number 17 for the people that um, had stayed with him, Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody in the fandom, most most people know LML, and he talks about something called Last Hero Math, and you'll find, like, countless times where uh, George puts in a dozen companions. Yeah. And with the people that actually left Theon, there were 12. Because there were 10 of Asha's men, and then there were two of his men that went with him. So that actually equals up to 12. So hmm. that could actually be why uh, George wrote in 17 men. Hmm. Some monomythical vibes. <laughs> yeah, so maybe the, those uh, last hero vibes are are on the money. He can't sleep. The wine does nothing to help him get to sleep, so he goes to shoot arrows until the sun comes up, and his hands are bloody. There you go. Oh, shit. <laughs> Just keep going. I saved Bran's life with this bow, he reminded himself. Would that I could save my own. If I hang the girl, the Northmen will attack at once, he thought as he loosed a shaft. If I do not hang her, they will know my threats are empty. He knocked another arrow to his bow. There is no way out. None. Lewin sadly watches him shoot. He counsels him if only he had a thousand archers like himself to hold the castle. Smartass. Theon is sick of his counsel, and he pretty much half-ass threatens Lewin, but 
Lewin knows better. He's experienced, right? He is. I just love, I don't know, I love Maester Lewin for still being caring at this time. Like, he's here, he doesn't really <laughs> love Theon, but, I don't know, and I also love Lewin's, like, little thing where, like, Theon says, I'm gonna put this shaft through your heart, and Maester was like, you won't. <laughs> I love this passage. I really love this passage. It's, like, one of my favorite passages. I was reading it, and I was like- Lewin <sighs> then gives Theon the counsel of, maybe you should go to the wall. That's a good idea. Oh, Theon, do it. Why won't you do it? A brother of the Night's Watch. It meant no crown, no sons, no wife. But it meant life, and life with honor. Ned Stark's own brother had chosen the Watch, and Jon Snow as well. I have black garb plenty. Once I tear the krakens off, even my horse is black. I could rise high in the Watch. Chief of Rangers, likely even Lord Commander. Let Asha keep the bloody islands. They're as dreary as she is. If I serve at Eastwatch, I could command my own ship. And there's fine hunting beyond the wall. As for women, what wilding woman wouldn't want a prince in her bed? A slow smile crept across his face. A black cloak can't be turned. I'm as good as any man. I'd be as good as any man. No. Is that not all he wants? So do you guys... Would it think that he would have taken the, the advice? I think he was about to. Right there, yeah. I think he wanted to. Yeah, I think so, too. I wish he would have. So he was, like, literally on his way to do it, and then they were like, wait, something's happening. I like how in this moment we get Theon admitting that he is really emo. He's like, I've got lots of black clothes. Knew it. <laughs> My horse is black. We knew it. We knew Fashion it. Fashion queen. Truly. <laughs> and also, like... As we know from other characters, like, if Theon had taken the black, the Northmen would have honored it. We see it in the dance. And those people, like, definitely did worse things. An entire nation went to war. <laughs> woof, woof, indeed. <laughs> and, like, the advice that Lewin gives here asking if Theon has had enough of life. I love that line. Theon's like, I've had enough. And he's like, but end of life? And anyway... There's this dichotomy that I think is set up in Ned's storyline in A Game of Thrones when Cersei and he speak in the Godswood, and Cersei's all like, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die, there is no middle ground. Which, yes, it's an iconic line, it's super well written, it's great, dramatic, love it, but like, people see that conclusion to that argument in the death of Ned Stark, but I don't think it's actually so clear-cut. Like... I don't know, with many things in the series, and Theon is just one example of that, because, like, there is a middle ground. There are several middle grounds, and some of them suck, and some of them are, like, mad. Like, you have the undead limbo of the Ice Whites and the Fire Whites, because apparently George has decided to call things like Beric Dondarrion and Lady Stoneheart Fire Whites, where, you know, you either might have your memories, but you don't actually have control of yourself, or maybe you do have, like, some agency and will, but you don't have any memories, or those slowly disappear, or you're just, like, a revenge monster. And those suck, but, like, being the last of your house, you know, not being undead. There's there's that in-between, like, with Dantos, he's the last of the Hollards, and he feels a bunch of grief and even greed because this the way that he deals with things is through his alcoholism. And then you have all the different broken men, as pointed out by uh, Septon Maribald. You have being hated by your family, as with Tyrion Lannister. And then you have, like, Theon Greyjoy, who's middle ground that we come across in A Dance with Dragons. It makes you think that may maybe death would have actually been better. Maybe that would have been a mercy. And all these different greys instead of these blacks and whites of life and death, you know, maybe those are actually worse 
than the extreme of death if you're like losing your body parts and your identity. Yeah, and all of that is tied in with that sinking realization of, for Theon of that what his father and his father's people are capable of, fighting firsthand with them finally, and learning. Balin could have tried to get Theon back all these years, right? We can all agree, like, if Balin really had wanted to get Theon back, he could have, but he didn't. He let him just be there. He let him go. And Theon learns he's kind of truly alone for the first time ever. Balin's never coming. Asha told him, Lewin told him, everyone told him, turn back, Theon Greyjoy, you're chasing an empty journey. Chat with Quentin Martell, like, go back. Yeah, to go forward, you must go back. Okay, Quave. Thanks, Ashara. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you mean, uh, share a sea star? Wait. Thanks, Septim Mordain. Wait, no, Lamore. God, <laughs> maybe it's Septim Mordain. <laughs> it's Septim Mordain. It's because Dane is in her name, you get it? That's, oh my god, <laughs> It's my new tinfoil. Okay. Well, all these thoughts are interrupted by Crom, who is shouting for Theon. Is this Victor Crom? I'm just going to glaze past it. I'm not even going to. You're the worst. Uh, (sighs) Crom's all like, come look, the Northmen are attacking, but they're not attacking Winterfell. Oh, no, no, no. They are attacking each other. Theon first is like, is it Asha? But no, we know it's a charge being led by House Bolton. And Theon thinks, no, or they say, no, these are Northmen, I tell you, with a bloody man on their banner. Theon goes to watch the battle. Black Lauren appeared beside him and stood silently for a time. The sun was low in the west painting the fields and houses all glowing red. The, a thin, wavering cry of pain drifted over the walls, and a war horn sounded off beyond the burning houses. Theon watched a wounded man drag himself painfully across the ground, smearing his life's blood in the dirt as he struggled to reach the well that stood at the center of the market square. He died before he got there. He wore a leather jerkin and a conical half-helm, but no badge to tell which side he fought on. The crows came in the blue dust, with the evening stars. The Dothraki believe the stars are spirits of the valiant dead, Theon said. Maester Lewin had told him that a long time ago. I love that line about the Dothraki. I think that's a great line. I love the symbolism and just the beautiful like language and prose in this kind of passage about the sky and the death. And I love that it was Lewin's counsel and Theon repeats it right here. After, you know, he just came so close to finally asking to be redeemed. Because the interesting thing about Theon, when we compare him to some of these other characters who have done horrible things or whatever, Theon wants redemption, right? Like, I mean, all these characters in the end do want to be redeemed. You have Sandor Clegane crying on his deathbed. I mean, you have Jamie who wants redemption, you know, passing out in the hot tub with Brienne. You have all these people pushing for it, or Tyrion even. Theon really does dream about having a family and having a home and having redemption but he just doesn't make the correct strides to do so. Yeah, he just doesn't want to be alone. He's like Tyrion, right? We see yeah. earlier that he he just wanted love, same as same as all the rest of us. Do you want to be loved, Sansa? Yeah. Love is a poison. Well, drink up, bitch. Okay. <laughs> glug glug, <laughs> clink clink. Finally, a column of mounted men rode out of the drifting smoke. At their head was a knight in dark armor. His rounded helm gleamed a sullen red, and a pale pink cloak streamed from his shoulders. Outside the main gate he reined up, and one of his men shouted for the castle to open. 
So fashion hour, fabulous outfit, early top tier. Um, I don't have much analysis for it this time, but to tell you like, damn, Ramsey, nice digs. But for all intents and purposes in the book right now, they call him Red Helm. So he's now Red Helm. This is Red Helm, everyone. He's so millennial with his millennial pink cloak. God. Is that the symbol? Is that what it symbolizes, Eliana? Truly, is, is that not? <sighs> Theon doesn't know if he should trust Redhelm, yeah. but he's brought Theon a lovely gift: the dead bodies of Tallheart, Serwin, and Castle. Oh no! Boo. I liked all those people. Boo. I liked all of them. Boo. <laughs> oh. <sighs> And all he thinks is, to think how close I came to yielding and taking the black. Well. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. You still should have done it, and you're going to find that out, dude. In this moment, it's still not too late, I guess. Well, actually, no, it is, because um, no, it all, is, the, people, all the people who would have honored it are gone. They're all yeah. dead. Right yeah. here. So, you know, Theon decides to open the gates to the Mounted Red Home and discusses his methods of battle with the man. And the, who who's Red Helm? It's Reek. Uh, wow! Yay! What? what? There's no he yay. saved him. <laughs> he did it. He saved him from joining the Night's Watch, from yielding and throwing his whole life away. He kept. He could have done something horrible. I'm so glad this has a happy ending. I know, trip. right? What if I we know. just ended it right here? Such a happy ending. This is it. I know. This is a song. Dude, of the next few weeks are going to be really heavy. I just thought about that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yep. Poor one not for Lady Hornwood. Yeah, for sure, because Rudhelm Reek goes into a long villain monologue about how Reek's dead. The man laughed. The wretch is dead, he stepped closer. The girl's fault. If she had not run so far, his horse would not have lamed, and we might have been able to flee. I gave him mine when I saw the riders from the ridge. I was done with her by then. He liked to take his turn while they were still warm. I had to pull him off her and shove my clothes in his hands. Calfskin boots and, and velvet doublet, silver chase sword belt, even my sable cloak. Ride for the dread fort, I told him. Bring all the help you can. Take my horse. He's swifter. And here, wear the ring my father gave me so they'll know you came from me. He'd learned better than to question me. By the time they put that arrow through his back, I'd smeared myself with the girl's filth and dressed in his rags. They might have hanged me anyway, but it was the only chance I saw. He rubbed the back of his hand across his mouth. And now, my sweet prince, there was a woman promised me if I brought two hundred men. Well, I brought three times as many, and no green boys nor field hands neither, but my father's own Damn. garrison. Anyone else think this isn't a good situation? It's just like... Yeah, uh, Theon should have seen the red flags right there. Yeah. Yeah, this is like stares at the camera and whispers, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? You just... Um, I mean, the whole outfit thing. The and, whole outfit? Yeah. Oh, even the outfit. Oh my god. It's like, like, as soon as he rode up, he's a demon. It's like, remember the last time he told he did this like outfit switch with like you and that turned out real bad. Yeah, and there's, like, a lot of context clues going on. It's like, really? You're not getting it, buddy? You're not? Yeah, he's like, let me go get Pala. I mean, that sounds good to me. Hey, thanks, buddy. I mean, he, he should have known right there that this was not a good situation. Shaking my head being like, nope, nope, <laughs> as you read this. <sighs> 
Uh, I, I also wanted to raise this hashtag very important question of like, why Ramsey for some reason had to smear the girl's dirt on him? Like, why was that his like detail? Why couldn't he have just rolled around in dirt? Why did it have to be that girl's dirt? Because reek smell. Oh, oh, yeah. that he smell. reeks. Smell. Oh, that's what he was smearing on himself. Ew, that's nasty. Yeah, yeah that's what so reek smells extra. like. Yeah, Ew. it's really gross. <laughs> I thought it was a crazy just, like, normal bitch. dirt. Now I realize like they're talking about like how Reek had that weird thing. So weird. Yeah, yeah, no, he just has this weird uh fecal fetish that, you know, after he kills people, he just likes to smear. Oh, that really? Stuff. Is that is that yeah. what it was? Cuz yeah. I know that people have speculated that, that he had like an actual uh um like hormonal or something dysfunction that causes him to have really bad body odor or whatever there's like actual i don't know terminology yeah i was just joking about that oh i, I would have <laughs> believed it it's entirely possible i mean it's yes. I, it's it's a fantasy series he could have all kinds of stuff going on he could have this fecal fetish and likes to smear that stuff all over him but um nice. i i've read those theories about him having that uh disorder and that's probably the case because it says that reek no matter how much he washed how much he per- perfume he wore uh, he stole you know he would no matter what he would always smell horrible and he could never fix it no matter you know how clean he tried to get himself but uh later on we learned that ramsey didn't always like him bathing too i don't know maybe he liked the smell oh god that's a mood i guess ew yeah god, okay i'm a nurse i can talk about that kind of stuff yeah. all day long <laughs> i'm tender-hearted I'm, I have a tender heart and stomach. I'm very delicate, ladies. Yes, I am not the kind of person to have a conversation with at the dinner table. I am a very soft butterfly. I'm delicate. Eliana knows this. Masturbation's never been worse. Oh my god. So, like Amanda said, Theon sends for Pala. He does what he's promised from the kennels to give to Redhelm. Like, yeah, leave her alone. Enough. There's also some really interesting references going on here, like the way that this line is phrased when Theon's thinking about it, Theon had given his word. This was not the time to flinch. Pay him his pound of flesh and deal with him later. Harag, he said, go to the kennels and bring Pala out for... First of all, he doesn't even fucking know this guy's name. Christ. Um, This line, pound of flesh, actually comes from Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice, which actually I got to watch, starring Jonathan Price, who you may know as the High Sparrow from, you know, that TV show mm-hmm. that these books were adapted from. And he played Sherlock. <laughs> and in the play, you have a bunch of characters. I'm going to like go through a lot of things fast because I'm not actually going to really tell you everything that happens in The Merchant of Venice because it's a whole ass play. But Bassanio needs money because he has to go get married, and so he asks his friend Antonio, who is a merchant of Venice, for help uh, when it comes to this money. And Antonio is like, yeah, I'm going to help you cover the cost of a bond, but we're going to go to this moneylender, Shylock, whom I've just kind of insulted and shot on all the time and made really anti-Semitic like, jokes and treated him terribly because he's Jewish. And so Shylock, for obvious reasons, is very reluctant to help Antonio, but eventually agrees and relents on the condition that, sure, I will help all of you out as long as Antonio promises to pay me back on the given date, and if he does not, I get a pound of flesh. No interest. Charge. Which is why Antonio's like, man, this is a great deal. Um, 
But Shylock is really interested in getting revenge for the way that Antonio has treated him. Like, Antonio's also just, like, kind of shafted, like, Shylock over on some other, like, business matters as well. Now, when this agreement is made, this pound of flesh that they're talking about isn't, like, oh, I don't know, beef or some shit. No, this pound of flesh is fucking literal. Shylock is means business, okay? And Antonio's ships, they're, like, out at sea right now, and then turns out they end up being lost, and he's like, shit, I can't pay you back. And he ends up indebted to Shylock, who's like, all right, time to pay up. Where's my pound of flesh? Which, again, is literal flesh, and, like, you know, let's imagine someone just takes a pound of flesh from you. Maybe it's, like, your arm or, like, I don't know, whatever. You lose a lot. Or if it's taken from a specific part. How much do you dicks weigh? <laughs> it's not a pound, I can tell you that. I want to say, like, I forgot if in the play they actually define where he wants it from and if it's, like, somewhere in the abdo- abdominal area. I forgot. I'm Googling it. Because I think that they actually define where it is and where it would come from would literally kill Antonio. And there's some really interesting wordplay here, of course, because while in The Merchant of Venice, Antonio doesn't end up having to pay his pound of flesh to Shylock. The end storyline actually ends up the other way around, right? Like, we talked about all that castration and stuff last time. Um, Here, the flesh that Theon pays doesn't end up being a woman or, like, letting Ramsay fulfill, like, carnal desires, though all of these things end up happening. Like, Theon literally ends up giving up some of his flesh and being flayed and losing body parts... And it's wild. An average porn star, maybe 12 floor ounces, 0.75 pounds, and off the charts, one pound. Oh, that's what you were Googling. Yep, I was Googling that the whole time. I thought you were Googling where the pound of flesh came from. Who who measures that? I mean, like... Well, and there are conversions. You have to go through, like, cubic inches, and then you have to... Anyways, so... Wait, hold on, hold on. Is this um, flaccid or hard? This is the average erect penis. Okay. This was an important distinction, in my opinion. Yes, no, agreed, because otherwise it's, like, three ounces. Yeah. And, like, I guess testicles, like, 106 grams. I don't know. 106 grams isn't... So, yeah, so that was a good Google. I'm glad I was in... I think I was in a anonymous mode when I Googled that, thank God. So now only my internet provider and you guys and the whole internet know. I don't uh, think Theon... I don't think Theon's, like... He's probably He's average. gotta be, like... 12 is, like... No, 12 is, like... Probably a wreck. I'd say he's right. Six is probably the average. So that's why he had to give up some fingers, too. Yeah. So yeah, to make a pound. pound. Yeah, how much in it's total? Like, I don't have quite a pound here, so you can just take a couple fingers and we'll call it even. So yeah, it's a pound of flesh. Good call, Eliana. <laughs> that's, not, uh, that's how weight works. I'm glad we figured that out. That was where I thought. Anytime. I'm glad we went in this direction. <laughs> Redhelm decides instead that he wants Theon's bed warmer, Kyra, and it's a better fit for a snow or a bolt in which he reveals himself to be suddenly. That's right. Redhelm is Ramsay Snow Bolton. What, what up? Yeah. Theon's super upset. He's like, no, like, fuck you. You can't just take my girlfriend. And then we get the most intense moment where Ramsay backhands him and he passes out on the ground. And now you're a captive for real, Theon. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. You didn't like your ward status before. Well, here it is. There you go. I love that we get George's writing convention where, you know, we see it with Storm with Arya, the flat of the axe. But with Theon, we get a little resolution in this chapter. But the true nightmare really unfolds after this chapter. So when Theon comes to, Ramsay and his men are slaughtering everyone. Close the gates. 
He tried to shout, but it was too late. The Dreadfort men had cut down Red Rolf and Kennet, and more were pouring through, a river of mail and sharp swords. There was a ringing in his ears and horror all around him. Black Lauren had his sword out, but there were already four of them pressing in on him. He saw Ulf go down with a crossbow bolt through the belly as he ran for the Great Hall. Maester Lewin was trying to reach him when a knight on a warhorse planted a spear between his shoulders and swung back to ride over him. Another man whipped a torch round and round his head and then lofted it toward the thatched roof of the stables. Save me the phrase, the bastard was shouting as the flames roared upward, and burn the rest. Burn it. Burn it all. The last thing Theon Greyjoy saw was Smiler, kicking free of the burning stables with his mane ablaze, screaming, rearing. End scene. That's it. Wow, Smiler, what's up? Oh my god, okay, Pokemans. I know we just ended this chapter, but I do want to say that this line, I think, does some really great prose tying up together Theon's last chapter. So, you know, earlier we were discussing how none of the men stepped up to fight alongside Theon, and we ended up reading aloud this line where Theon says, Theon felt as though he were drowning. And finally, in these like last moments, in this these last few paragraphs, we have like, uh, the Dreadfort men had cut down Redrolf and Kennet, and more were pouring, th- pouring through a river of mail and sharp swords. And I just think that it's some great prose. I don't think that George was necessarily doing this intentionally, but it comes together really nicely of that because of this river of mail and sharp swords, Theon is drowning. Like, there's some great irony here that Theon feels like he's drowning, and that's the sensation that he has because Theon, in that dream that Bran had, Theon's supposed to be the sea that has come to Winterfell. He's ironborn, so for him to feel as though he's drowning is really, truly just him planting his own demise. There's a lot of uh, really symbolic stuff with drowning and the Ironborn. And it, it may be actually um, setting up Theon for his later redemption. Mm. So we see like his metaphoric drowning here. And then later on, we see um, kind of like this redemptive arc um, going on further. The Ironborn's saying, what is dead may never die, but rises again harder and stronger. Um, if you look at their ironborn religion and how they actually give one to the drowned god and then resurrect them, um, there, with drowning, there's, there's almost like this end of life, but there's also a new beginning. So this may just be setting up Theon for his future arc of, of redemption. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great. Like, he is reborn to an extent, not great. His new identity kind of sucks, but. Yes. It's a journey. God, I can't believe we just finished his class chapters. We Theon gets taken off the pages after this until a dance with dragons, and we don't hear about him, but the suspense is built up enough for us to continue thinking about him. Even throughout Feast, we get more uh, Greyjoys, obviously. We get some Asha, and we see some stuff from that realm. Uh, I think it's really interesting, the whole idea of the hostage returning home finally. It makes me wonder what's going to happen when you get back to Sansa coming home finally after her time in King's Landing and after her time in the Vale. Oh, yeah. Where she, I mean, she also has some of those, like, purifying kind of imagery and moments with the snow. Whereas for Theon, it's with the water. The salt spray. I love that in that first chapter. Get some beach waves. Yeah, man, hit the hit the surf, surfs up, surf the hit. Surfs up. I don't know. I don't actually know what that means. I'm sorry. <laughs> Surfing Pikachu. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Never mind. 
<laughs> yeah, and of course that brings us to our outro discussion. Let's talk Beyond Returning Home, Greyjoy Rebellion, all that kind of stuff. What is home? Home is whenever I'm with you. <laughs> get, get out. Is that like, are you, who are you even singing to? What are you? I don't know, Theon. Home is whenever <laughs> I'm with Theon, Greyjoy. Yeah. What do you think would have happened if Theon would have actually been able to do the right thing and follow his father's orders? How do you think the Ironborn would have fared? Do you think that Balon actually might have had a plan that might have actually worked? They might have eventually been able to take over a lot of the North. I mean, the North and the West, as we talk and learn about, thats it's a weak spot in Westeros right now. And had Theon actually stuck to the plan... Yeah, Balin might have had a stronger hold on some of these places. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that Balon, I, I think that Balon's probably been planning this for the past 10 years. And Very Doran. Been, yeah. Yes. I, I think he's been waiting for this moment. He's had it planned out in his head for years. And he's been basically waiting for the exact right moment. And he found it. And what's really great is we talked about oaths. And he actually did not break his oath. He waited until he gave his oath to Robert Baratheon that, uh, you know, he swore fealty and that he would not rise up again. And he he waited until Robert Baratheon was dead. Truly a loophole. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he's he told Robert Baratheon when he he was yielding and they were like, oh, well, you know, you swore an oath. And he was and he said, I did not swear an oath to you. And Robert Baratheon said, okay, well, swear one to me now. And he did. And he waited until he was dead to rise up again. It was a fortuitous time for Balon Greyjoy. If only, I don't know, I guess his son. I, th- I Do you think Balon's plans could have succeeded even if Theon, even with Theon screwing everything up? Had, you know, Balon lived in like his other brother not come and murdered him. Flash is really that destruction yeah. that everyone's kind of... You know, crazy. Everything's up in flames right now. It's him kind of, you know, benefiting from that chaos that is the latter type of chaos. Uh, (laughs) I think he could have benefited. I don't think he could take the whole North, obviously. We see that it takes a special kind of, you know, ambition and strength to take and keep the North and a special man to be able to do that. Obviously, Bruce was leading it through fear and Ramsey as well. I don't know that Balin really could have succeeded, succeeded, but I think he could have held some stuff and maybe even took some plea bargains in the end to say, hey, I'll hold this and have part of the North. Yeah, I agree. I think that the Western Shore would have definitely, at least the Western Shore of the North would have definitely been theirs if they if they would have been able to stay the course and do as Balon had probably imagined. I don't think that they would have gotten all the way to conquering the entire North. But I think that they would have been a lot more successful because I, I do think that Balon had this planned for a long time. He was striking at the exact right moment when the North was pretty much abandoned and he was able to get control of Mo Kalen. He was able to do so much stuff. Uh, he was going to set up a forward operating base with Deepwood Mott's. He, he was getting his ducks in a row, and um, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if, you know, Theon would have actually done what he was supposed to do. Yeah. The alternate, there is no alternate timeline where that happens, but never mind. Because this is a work of fiction, and 
Um, <laughs> George wouldn't have written that story because that would have been less dramatic and fun. If he would have done what his father asked, and he would have harried the stony shore and followed his orders and been a good boy and done everything that he was supposed to do, do you think that he would have eventually gained his father's trust? No way, dude. I don't think so. I don't think Balin would ever have respected Theon, no matter what he did. There'd always be this uh, furry wolf block between them, right? Like, he was just... Right now, he's another person to help Balin bring glory in the old way back. If Balin had cared, he would have tried to get Theon back before this. He disengaged from his sons after they died and from Theon after he lost him. And it's crazy because even Tywin cares enough about Tyrion to be like, we're going to cover your bullshit up, don't worry, you know, in the end until, well, the end for him. But it's interesting because Balin was just so disconnected. He just let Theon go so much and, you know, very, he's no son of mine. Yeah, I mean, we see what Balin acts like with a kid that he actually likes. Yeah. Um, I'm also coming at this... You know, I thought that the lens that Eve, aka Canonical Gay, on Twitter gave us was really interesting about Theon as a way of thinking of, like, the cultural diaspora. And I'm just thinking and bringing my own personal experiences into this, like, no, no matter what I do, the fact of the matter is the way that I appear in Western culture, I'm never going to always, like, be fully seen as maybe American. And... I am not necessarily in some ways because I grew up in an immigrant household, but in the Philippines, like, it doesn't matter if I can speak the language, like, there's still, like, a hint of some, uh, accent, and it doesn't matter how long I stay there or how much I, like, learn it, I still grew up in the U.S. Like, it doesn't, there is no- That's always a part of you. Yeah, and it is a part of you, and it's less of- trying to be seen as authentic to that culture as opposed to being authentic to yourself and who you are. And I, there was a moment where Balon respected Theon when Theon spoke up to him. And maybe Balon was never going to see Theon as a true Ironborn, but maybe Theon should have never been trying to do that. I don't know. I, maybe he never would have gotten it. But I'm just thinking that like, if the idea is proving yourself as truly either Ironborn or truly Northman, Theon was never going to be able to do that. Along with all of those ideas of parenting, we also have a lot of talk in Theon's chapters about the old way. Uh, the old way does not work anymore. We hear it even in the show, in a way. We hear that, you know, I'm going to break the wheel mentality. Because right now, all of these houses and, of course, the Ironborn are just spinning around in their old way. So, Amanda, will you tell us more about the old way with the Ironborn? The old way is is pretty much a fairly long forgotten um, notion of the Ironborn culture, grieving, taking what what's yours, paying the iron price, taking salt wives. Uh, they they have they're very godly uh, as far as the drowned god goes. They um, have something called the king's moot where they choose the, their kings. It's you you have to earn the right to rule. It was the concept of what culture was um, a long time ago, and people refer to it as the old way. This is how we used to do things. When House Hor had actually um, gained control of the Iron Islands, that is actually, and that was during the time of the Andals, that's actually when the old way started declining. They actually had adopted the faith of the seven. There were instances after. They had intermarried with the Andals. They started doing away with the old way. They started um, bargaining. They started haggling. 
You'll see with the names, they're actually given like these horrible names. Somebody, the re- the raper, uh, somebody, the godless, uh, you know, they just give them these horrible names. And they call them black of heart, black of eye. So it, it's been actually declining for a very, very long time. It wasn't until the very last three whores that they that the old way actually started coming back. And they started doing some conquest of the Riverlands and holding a, a large swath of, of both the li- Riverlands and even the Stormlands. And that's where we uh, end up with Heron the Black. When Aegon the Conqueror came in, he actually, of course, put down the whores. And, um, and that was the end of the old way again. And that was 300 years prior to the events of the timeline. And so the old way is actually pretty forgotten as far as ironborn culture. And so you see them talking about it, talking about bringing it back. We're going to do this the like the old way. Um, so a lot of them, their understanding of it is more on a historical account because, of course, you know, it had been outlawed if they did want to read they'd have to go all the way to the Stepstones or the basilisk isles they couldn't go and just go reeve wherever they wanted there were laws against taking salt wives they hadn't had a king's moot in thousands of years so it's it's pretty much just a, a long forgotten memory but they still continue to talk about it so when theon is actually talking about the the old way and this is, I'm Ironborn, and, and this is a kind of an inner mantra of Theon. I'm Ironborn, Ironborn do this. A lot of it is very a juvenile concept of what the Ironborn are and what the old way is. Because like I said earlier, he left the Iron Islands when he was nine. And so everything that he understood about that was from the lens of a nine-year-old. And then after that, everything that he knew about the Ironborn was supplemented from his interactions with people from the North and the people from the North, they don't see the Ironborn in the same way that somebody from the Iron Islands would. So they might say, Oh, the Ironborn are like this. They're like that. And when Theon actually puts, we, we see him at talking about these Iron Men, they're coming up dead. And we soon learn that it was Theon that's actually killing them because he's afraid that they're going to say something mm-hmm. about Bran and Rickon. And he, he mentions the Ironborn are, can't keep secrets. And we don't really see in the chapters where that's actually true. And so it's possible that when he's talking about, the, well, the Ironborn can't keep secrets, it's possible that that understanding is not actually from when he was in the Iron Islands. It's actually an understanding of mm. what he learned when he was up north. His concept, oh, I'm going to do this because I'm Ironborn. I'm going to do that because I'm Ironborn. You have to kind of think about, is that really what Ironborn would do? Uh, When you were talking about uh, Theon yielding, we see Balon Greyjoy, no problem. He yielded. We see Asha. She had no no qualms about, you know, getting out of there when when times were getting tough. Uh, You know, you you begin to understand that Theon may not actually know what's really going on. He's just saying, well, I'm going to do this because I'm Ironborn. But the concepts of what he understands and what it the reality actually is, 
they don't always necessarily match. No, I think you definitely have a point there. I think he has these preconceived notions, but he's also built it up inside his head, right? And in a way, it's a little fantastical. It's him thinking of his people. I mean, I, I think you see it in a lot of kids. I mean, you know, that's you want to think of that place, that home, that time, those people, those warriors. But he's definitely built it up and he's definitely trying to outmatch them, not even just match them. You know, mm-hmm. he's trying to pull his ironborn machismo out and it doesn't really need to happen that way. It You should be smarter. You should salvage yourself before you just, you know, go out in the blaze of glory. Burnout. He's burning out. He's uh, he is. burning out and fading away. Like what you were saying about, also, I, I was thinking about what you were saying about them being unable to keep secrets. Because, like, we see a shit ton of Ironborn keep secrets. Like, Victorian's over here keeping a fucking secret about, like, his wife. Exactly. And Euron's got mad secrets. And I feel like... And correct me if I'm wrong, but something that I saw in what you were saying is that, you know, Theon is patterning this idea of an idealized or romanticized, his nine-year-old romanticized idea of what Ironborn culture is. But because the Ironborn themselves, it's been many centuries and it's the culture has changed. Even the Ironborn themselves, right, are like Theon and that they're patterning this idea of the old way off of also these stories. It's become this sort of like simulacra of what Ironborn culture is. And Theon's just a microcosm, just one way in which that's happening, but it's happening throughout their entire culture. In the Iron Islands, raving is not actually the main source of of their economy. It is said in the world book that seven out of ten Ironborn Mm -hmm. are actually just fishermen, is what they are. Um, And so... It's only a select few that actually do do any reaving at, you know, what whatsoever. And you see, like, for example, the far winds, when they bring their their chests to the king's moot, you can tell they don't reave whatsoever because the other people, they're providing gifts to the captains and the priests. They're gi- the gifts are kind of representative of their prowess in reaving. And when the Farwins bring their stuff, they, you know, it's like whalebone and seal skins and just a bunch of stuff that you would expect for a fisherman to, to provide. And so the the old way is, is not necessarily what is representative of the Iron Islands. And even the people that, um, like, for example, the Harlaws, some of them have adopted the faith of the seven. You see Roderick the Reader, he's very literate. Um, the Iron Islands have incorporated maesters. Not so much septons, but, uh, you know, they, they, the Iron Islands has definitely evolved from what Theon, you know, has this storied notion of. It's like Ironborn culture is now trying to define itself not as its own thing, but as in reaction to what the conquering force has been. And they're like, well, we're not that. We're not that. And I think that Theon, even though he doesn't, he's not in line with the message of what the Ironborn are saying they're not, but he is in Winterfell being like, well, I'm not that, so I'm doing this. That's great. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about Theon and the Night's Watch, Maester Lewin's advice. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> oh, he should have taken it. I feel so bad. Do not miss. That was his one last shot. I don't actually know the words of the song. Yeah. <laughs> Your chance to blow this opportunity goes once in a lifetime. You better 
Anyways, yeah, definitely should have taken that. Holy crap, that was a uh, a much better Everyone? advice than what he's heard from, you know, people like Reek. Yeah, exactly. Could you imagine him hanging I out at Eastwatch with Cotter Pike? Deserve this story. Oh, those would be great chapters. I know. I love that. Second chance is forgiveness, and, like, he gets the same thing that Jon Snow was hoping for when he got there, right? But turns out the Night's Watch doesn't really give you that, even though it it advertises as that. Not just the second watch, but, like, they're like, you get to be you. You don't, you're not coming from whatever your family is. You're just making a name for yourself. But then we see in, in the prologue of A Game of Thrones, uh, Waymar Royce, he is given command of, of that ranging, even though he hasn't been a ranger for more than a year. And it's because of his, his highborn status. Yeah. So yeah. The system's broken everywhere. Theon gets to, I mean, like, Theon would have been able to take advantage of that system, for better or for worse. Yeah. And I mean, he'd probably have done his duty. Yeah. For the most part. How well could Theon even, like, I don't know, handle a ship, right? He left the Pike when he was nine in Winterfell's Inland. These are questions I'm wondering. And he said, you know, like, I mean, he doesn't, he's not a big sailor. He's not, he's an archer. No offense, but that's like, that's a good job for, you know, when you have a bunch of them. But that's all he's good with. He's not great with a sword. I think Lewin says as much, right? Like that's a great that's a great thing to be on the wall. Yeah, absolutely. It would be a great place. Literally oh, yeah. very strategic. Yeah. So do you guys think that this might be foreshadowing for Theon's future? I don't know about Theon being someone who will take the black, though it would be interesting, especially because, like I said, it, it's interesting because Obviously, in the books where we are, the wall's still up. Eventually, that baby's coming down. You don't build walls unless they're going to come down. Mm-hmm. So it's going to fall, but there's obviously going to be a place in the end game for the Night's Watch, one way or another. Whether they just resettle the gift with wildlings uh, and keep that protection going and remake some pact or what. But there has to be some sort of semblance of reason for that big magical wall. Yeah. Even if the end game is like the Night's Watch dissolves, but like there's a legacy of it or something. Mm-hmm. For Theon, I, I don't know. I guess I don't see him joining the Night's Watch because all of the things that one has to give up, the dramatic tension of the choices a character has to make in taking the choice of doing the Night's Watch are removed from Theon in some ways. Like He's not giving up having kids or sleeping with anyone. Mm-hmm. He's not giving up that kind of love. And his family doesn't truly want him in some ways. It seems like, I mean... He could he couldn't take crowns because no one's gonna follow him in that way. But I don't know. Like Theon Latecomer is definitely I think in the cards. But yeah, yeah. I, I I would love to see the Iron Islands reformed with Theon and Asha helming it of sorts or such. I don't know. Like a rock king and a or a rock queen and a salt king. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think all the kingdoms are, for the most part, I think it'll break into sections again. You're going to have the North Riverlands, the Eerie, you know, you have the Vale and everything on that, and then you'll have the South as one. Yeah. yeah, I think there'll be, like, three to five sections of the continent. I don't think it'll be, uh, so I'm, I'm guessing yeah. the Iron Islands will probably go back to itself. Yeah, there's definitely precedents Independent. for dual rulership within the Iron Islands, uh, especially with the Old Way. That's how they used to do things. They, they used to have a rock king and a salt king. So with Theon and Asha, they could actually 
do that and recreate, you know, one aspect of how the Iron Islands were at one point. So I, mm-hmm. I think that'd be great. It's an old new way. A new old way. There you go. No old, never mind. <laughs> I tried really hard. Yeah, so I want to talk about how coming back to the Merchant of Venice, we were discussing that pound of flesh earlier, but there's another thing that I think recurs throughout Theon's clash arc uh, that does play a big role thematically in the Merchant of Venice as well. Like, so, again, Antonio is unable to pay back Shylock, so they all go to court, and a lot of things happen, and again, we're not going through the entire plot line of the Merchant of Venice, but Bassanio has a wife now, and it's Portia, she's acting as a lawyer, and she pleads to Shylock for mercy, like, Bassanio can pay you back twice the amount that Antonio owed you, and she gives this entire speech to Shylock and, you know, the audience about mercy, and it's it's a big deal, it's, it's, a, it's an iconic speech in literature, and Shylock ends up refusing because, again, he wants his revenge against Antonio, but then Portia ends up lawyering him into losing, and Shylock is about to mo- lose, like, all of his worldly position- possessions and, like, riches and shit, when Antonio allegedly shows him mercy because he's a Christian and it's like super weird and it's an it's anti-Semitic and again I'm not giving you the whole play but the whole point is mercy has been a big part of Theon's storyline so far like Lewin is begs Theon earlier in chapters to show mercy to the runaway Stark party and Theon of course kills the Miller's boys and passes them off as Stark so it ends up with him realize being put in a position where he's the one who has to beg for mercy and we see it in his dream where he keeps yelling mercy mercy but in his quest for like vengeance maybe for the ironborn or his own personal glory maybe even just getting some respect Theon ends up refusing to show mercy to people and is in a position where he fears that it will not be shown to him because he didn't show it to others and like it ends up that mercy isn't shown to Theon like something maybe worse is it's not justice when the tables finally turn and like we know that Theon's given the option of the watch as we've discussed before but with that maybe close to him it seems as though Mercy might come through a different route, maybe through Bran speaking to Theon. Like, Bran's got a lot of people to fucking forgive, all right? And, like, his storyline, like many others in A Song of Ice and Fire, are a question of forgiveness and mercy, because forgiveness and mercy are not things that can be earned. They're given, right? And it's mercy, again, manifests in many different ways in A Song of Ice and Fire, some of which are actually merciful, Right? And some of which aren't, some of which are gray, that gift of mercy depending. And Theon's storyline is just one exploration of what is mercy and what does it take to be given it and maybe nothing will give it to you. Yeah, mercy is obviously one of my favorite themes to explore in A Song of Ice and Fire. And it's something that leads into Theon's dance art really well. Uh, It's really sad because Theon was a dick these past two chapters like all of us are like Theon what are you doing like you're being a piece of shit Theon what are you doing has been a constant in our lives for like four weeks right but at the same time that's why dance hits so hard because when you open up on reek one Mm -hmm. I mean this isn't this isn't the punishment you wanted this isn't what you wanted this isn't what any of us wanted like yeah he was a dick but no one deserves this and it's that whole, you know, think about Quentin burning yeah, on fire, you know, his layers of skin just melting off of him. I mean, this isn't what they deserve just because they played with fire and got burned. And 
in dance we hear you have to know your name that is his big catch mark with fake Arya, with jane that we're going to talk about so much oh poor jane true and yes pour one out for jane everybody and And lady hornwood lady hornwood and jane drink for them and beth and paula yeah and kyra i mean why not and all the feet. You know what? If you're a girl in a song of ice and fire, homie, I got you. Pouring one out. But pouring a whole a whole cask out tonight. But he's finding his identity finally in A Dance of Dragons. But even before Clash, he didn't know his identity. That's the biggest thing. And he learns that especially in Theon 6. He's learning, I don't know the Ironborn. I don't know the Northmen. And I can't lead them. This is what, you know... Who are you, Theon, to lead the Northmen? Who are you to lead the Ironborn? He asks this in his first two chapters in Clash. And at the very end, he realizes, this is who I am. I can't lead them. I can't lead them. So I'm excited to get into A Dance with Dragons, where he can come to terms and discover and accept who he is in being just and righteous and finding out what that actually means, you know, saving Jane. Yes. Speaking of Theon's pound of flesh... uh, I'm sorry. I flashed back to our earlier discussion. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. <laughs> Theon's Pound of Flesh. Uh, so so do you guys think that Ramsay suggested the Miller family due to his own history? Because his mother was actually the wife of a Miller. She was the Miller's wife. And she was raped by his father, Ruse. And, and his father killed his mom's husband and raped her. And do you think that maybe Ramsey's own history might have had something to do with his suggestion to use the Miller family? Oh, I, I mean, absolutely it was. That's that's the answer. Because, I mean, we're talking about the guy who just, like, made a chick eat her own fingers. Like, he's sadistic and he's cartoony and he's evil. <laughs> so since his, since his mother was a victim of, of rape, do you... And, of course... Ramsey can't do anything against his father because he's Lord Bolton. Do you think that it's possible that Theon's pound of flesh was taken be- as maybe some sort of deflected retribution? Yeah, that's something I want to ask you, asking this question. Like, when you say that Ramsey is doing this because of his own history, like, are you saying that Ramsey's doing it just to because this is what he knows or are you saying that he's doing it like in a way to take control of what happened in his past or something no no, it's because i think that it's because of what he knows like i think that he probably when he was coming up towards winterfell he was like oh there's the miller and there's the miller's wife you know and he probably just kind of you know kept that in the back of his head Mm. and so yeah, I think that he just kind of knew that. But when it came to actually, like, Theon's castration, he's like, what am I going to do to this guy? You know, what do I want to do to this guy? And, you know, I want to chop off his penis. Um, I don't know. I was thinking that maybe he actually may have wanted to use Theon as some sort of retribution that he cannot do to his own father. Yeah, I think Ramsey's got a lot of anger at the world that he takes out on people in general, obviously. And I do think that this was a, oh, why don't you just kill the Miller's daughter? <laughs> I mean, it's also interesting when you think about Ramsey's background and compared to like, uh, like Obara, for instance, and Obara with Oberyn coming back for her and, you know, making her choose between her mother and the spear uh, and Ramsey, you know, basically being the brunt and pain of Bruce's life. 
but his only son, obviously, after murdering off dumb Eric. And I don't know. It's just interesting. I definitely think there's a connection there that Reek egged him on to kill the Miller's children. And also, it's the weird connections for Theon as well. So, you know, Reek forcing him to do that. Ramsay forcing him to do that. Uh, one, be nice to dumb Eric. Put some respect on <laughs> I love name. dumb Eric. <laughs> we respect dumb Eric in this household. Uh, two, I... I might have lost my train of thought, but I'm going to try and get back on it. <laughs> the idea that Ramsay is doing this to Theon in a way that he's unable to do to his father, I think it's an interesting idea because we see that in later Theon chapters, there is somewhat of a fraught relationship between Roose and Ramsay. Like, Roose is like, Ramsay, you fucking idiot, what are you doing? And Ramsay's like, I'm trying. <laughs> but not... I don't know. He's just doing whatever the fuck he wants. But I think there's, I think that might be an aspect at play, maybe in an undercurrent, but I don't know if Ramsey himself would be aware of it just because I, I feel like something that we're supposed to take away that is horrific about Ramsey is that it is unfair. There's no justice. There's no rhyme or reason necessarily to why he is a bully and does this. Yeah, 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 and he just kind of likes it too. Um, sure, you know that that he's definitely got that going. But I, I just found it very interesting that you know it, he was like, "Hey, there's the Miller's wife over there. Yeah, let's let's go over there." And of course, his mom was definitely a Miller's wife. Yeah, so so yeah. definitely some interesting parallels. It's definitely in there. Yeah, definitely. there's an interesting like recursion, and I I don't think I've ever really thought of that before. Wonderful. Well, gang, I think we finished it. We finished Theon in a Clash of Kings, thanks to our lovely, lovely, lovely guest, Miss Amanda from The Disputed Lands on YouTube. Thank you so much again, Amanda, for joining us on this episode. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, go ahead and shout out where people can find you one last time, all your little spiel of accounts. So I do have a YouTube channel. It's called The Disputed Lands, and I do have an entire series on Ironborn legends, and we go into detail on Ironborn culture and religion and history. And um, you can also find me on Twitter at crowfood underscore SD. Yes, we will link all of those in the description below. This has been a blast. I am really excited to get into Reek 1 next week in A Dance with Dragons. So looking forward to that. Yes, we are getting into Reek 1. Who's, who's that? Who's Reek? Didn't he, didn't who's he die? Reek? A new POV. But we, just <laughs> as we had someone help us say farewell to Theon, we're going to have someone help us say hello to Reek. And that is another one of our fellow Reddit mods and one of my really good friends, Michael, a.k.a. Bookshelf Stud, who's a co-host of mine Yay. on Maester Monthly. Well, as always, you guys, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on the internet as at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter. And if you like, feel free to send us a DM, drop us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com if you want to chat about Theon 6 and A Clash of Kings. And keep up with us. You know, subscribe to our channels. You can find us on Podbean, on iTunes, on on Spotify, Stitcher. on Stitcher, on Google Play. On ACAST? Yeah. 
Absolutely on Acast. You got it, sugar. <laughs> hey, and if you've got some money rattling around in that wallet of yours, throw some money at us on Patreon. Uh, if you pay $1 and up, you will get something special from us, whether it be show notes or fun ditties. $5 and up get special episodes. Really cool. We just had our Elaine one in the Winds of Winter episode come out, and it was spectacular. We had a blast doing it. And if not, we will still always bring you these free episodes every week on Fridays. We are going to have a stretch goal when we reach a thousand of doing a live stream, a secret show. Yes, can't wait. As always, I am Chloe. You can find me on the internet as at Lies and Arbor or at liesandarborgold.com. And I am Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl. Have a good one. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. I'm stopping.